Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Aloha! You are listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I am Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita, and we are joined, as always, by our friend Peter Sagal. I remember what it was like to be Peter Sagal. <laughs> no. <laughs> Peter Sagal is back from Oberlin, and he's the most obnoxious. <laughs> Today we are rehashing Season 7, Episode 4 of what Game of Thrones. What are these feelings? <laughs> Uh, I incorrectly looked on IMDb to figure out the name of this episode, and I thought it was uh, Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things, which is actually the title of Season 1, Episode 4 of Game of Thrones, but I feel like it actually works pretty well for this one, too. Though The Spoils of War, which is the actual title, is a little more apt. It is. It's a little bit of a pun. It's got a double meaning, if you know what I mean. I'm winking. Can you hear that? (laughs) Did you hear the wink, everyone? Uh, hey guys, hey, sorry, this is Justin. Sorry to interrupt uh, early on. I think I need to play you a voicemail we got from the consultants, you know, the ones that we hired to, to spruce up the show. We've been yeah. providing those fabulous music bumpers. Right. This, so this came in at like uh, at like 4 a.m. this morning. Here it goes. Hi, Trish. Hi, Gemma. Hi, Peter. Gemma? It's Lyle and Ginger from Harry Strickland Partners. Hi there. Did they just okay, call you Gemma? Talking about totally the podcast. Sorry. Oh, good. Oh, the profanity. There's a lot of profanity. Yes, very, very progressive. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Harry is so happy about the podcast. And let me tell you, Harry Strickland Wait, is a hard man to please. He's the partner now, at Harry the consulting Harry mentioned firm some people oh, okay. maybe yeah. aren't taking to them. Yes, there's a little bit of disconnect on the team at that... Um, Maybe Peter isn't happy with the transitions. I mean, I and think we're we all hear questioning that. them. Yeah, so here's what we did. <laughs> we got everybody on the team together. We got the composer. We got the Foley artist. And her llama. And we locked them up in a room for four days. And we're staking our reputation on this. We just sent you a Dropbox link. You are going to love these transitions. Enjoy. Bye. Wow. Bye. They're cheerful. Wow. Well, I didn't realize that methamphetamine was that popular mm, in the Oh, it is. Industry. Oh, okay. it is. Hmm. All right. So Justin has heard these. We have not. Let's go. High Garden. Oh. I mean. That was inoffensive. Yeah. yeah that I sort of like pretty okay with that. High Garden. I, I did flash on John Belushi smashing that guitar against the wall in Animal House. But I, <laughs> I put that aside pretty quickly. <laughs> So we're starting off in High Garden. So we're in High Garden. We have Braun and Jamie. We're yes. really on the Rose Road, aren't we? To be more precise. Do you oh. mean somebody else stayed up <laughs> Thanks, staring Trisha. at a map to try to figure out exactly where they were? Is yes. that what you're telling me? Because it seemed like perhaps they were in Utah. So I was like, where are they? Yeah, let's. Uh, I have a feeling why all of a sudden the Reach looks a lot like Monument Valley. And if there are any uh, geology guys out there, geology nerds, I would like to hear from you. How or gals. Your, or gals. Oh, patriarchy jingles. <laughs> really patriarchy speaking, <laughs> so ladies be quiet. Peter Sagal is the worst. All right, all right. It's time. <laughs> I have decided that it is time to counteract, to somehow counterweigh the patriarchy jingles. I've brought something here, so if we could play this to make Wait. sort of... Hold on, here we go. Seriously? Go ahead, Justin. Go ahead. He's Rhaegar in the streets and Varys in the sheets. Oh, no. He's Peter Sagal. There. Ooh. Are those to bolster your confidence? <laughs> a little after bit. the patriarchy jingle ba- takes Varys? you down a notch? I'm, I'm telling you. Varys in the sheets, though, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> the 
other one? It was Rhaegar in the sheets. Are I don't sure? think it was. Sure. Listen again. Yeah, I think we should listen back. He's Rhaegar in the streets and Daenerys yeah, in the sheets. He's Peter Sagal. Damn you, Paul and Storm! <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, good. Yep. I love that you didn't realize that the one you thought was to bolster you calls you a eunuch in the sheets. I'm crying. Though, Grey Worm did do a pretty good job, I guess. See, yes. I don't know why I'm standing up for you in this situation. This is all in storm. We knew we could count on you. (laughs) Thank you for that. Is that the end? Should we just call it? (laughs) That's the recap. I kind of feel like we should just call it. Uh, I just really wished that Jamie had actually quoted Notorious B.I.G. when he was talking to Braun and essentially saying, mo money, mo problems. Yes. That's what I really wanted <laughs> in that opening scene. It was great to see Braun again. It's been a while since we've had any Braun banter. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. our first Braunness. Braunter? Braunter, yes, thank you, since the <laughs> season began, and I've missed him. And yeah. I think it was important to sort of reestablish, like, oh yeah, we really like this guy, because then we're going to spend the whole almost second half of the episode yeah. in his point of view That's during true. this battle. Oof. So we had to remember why we cared about him surviving, and why we cared about his relationship with Jamie and all that, I think. You, so you I, actually, was, I was a fan. You, you, you point out something that will come into play later in the episode, which is something that I heard Peter Jackson, of all people, talk about when he was talking about the second Uh, Lord of the Rings movie, which was about a big battle, the Battle of Helm's Deep. And he said that he was inspired in turn by a movie called Zulu, which is imperialist and racist, but a pretty good movie. (laughs) It came out in the 60s, and it's about a battle uh, in the Zulu War. And he pointed out that before the battle starts, which happens like a good 45 minutes into the movie, and it's a movie about a battle, you spend an awful lot of time with the characters so you know what's at stake, who's going to die. And so, yeah, I think Trish is exactly right, that you have that preliminary scene. Here's Braun. Remember him. He, you like him. Here's even Dickon. <laughs> Here are the people who are going to count. Later on, we're going to put them in peril. And you will care. And you will care. And that's really all that happened in this chunk of being near Highgarden. We're going to head to the battle later. But right now, we better go to King's Landing. All the classic hits on the mix. 96.5 King's Landing. <laughs> That's my favorite. I love that King's King's Landing Landing. as an adult contemporary station. Of course it does. We'll have weather on the 8th, but now. (laughs) What is the traffic reports like at King's Landing? Everything's fucked up. The road road. is wrecked. (laughs) Traffic from the gold. It's 40 days out to High Garden on the Rose Road, so it's moving quickly. (laughs) Oh, no. That was awesome. Do that again. Oh, my God. No, don't. <laughs> Let's Harry save it. Strickland Partners. Let's save it. King's Landing, where we had Cersei talking to, what's his name, Tycho the Banker? Yes, Mycroft Tycho Mycroft. the Banker. Mycroft Tycho. Mycroft Tycho. Esquire <laughs> Banker. <laughs> Extraordinary. Yeah, and, so, and so the whole plot of that was, well, we will support you. We are on your side. You're impressive. We love you a lot. We, the powerful Iron Bank of Bravos. As long as you give us our money. Mm -hmm. Yes, your money is so important to us. Everything's great as long as we get the money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What else did you think about that scene? I think it was fun to hear that the Golden Company might be coming into play. Mm -hmm. Is the Golden Company, somebody help me out here, nerds, is that, uh, um, what's his name, the handsome guy back, we left back in Essos, is that his company? No, that's the Second Sons. The Second Sons, right. It's another company of sellswords, right. Yes, but it is a company of sellswords. And uh, it'll be fun to just see that maybe there's going to be 
something that a Navy and an Army can't do. So, you know, a band of ruffians of some sort Cersei is going to employ. And I liked the ominous, they're going to get something back for me that I've, that's been taken from me. Yeah. I'm not oh, sure wait, exactly. Remind, remind me of what that was. Basically, Cersei says, uh, yeah, the Golden Company is going to be good at getting back something I've lost, mm-hmm. which maybe they're going to be hired to kidnap someone, to capture someone. I can't imagine that yeah, the Army and Navy wouldn't is. do anything other than sort of like a stealthy mission like that. Yes. So we maybe are going to have the Golden Company, I don't know, Her childhood capturing. sled? What, would, what, what, what? I'm trying to think of something that Cersei yeah, lost. I'm thinking I mean, maybe Tyrion. Her excellent oh, hair. Oh, yeah, Tyrion actually. Yeah. Yeah, her yeah, hair, her which hair. doesn't grow no matter how much time has passed or not passed. No, she, she, she's liking the shortcut, I think. <laughs> she's going the whole Debbie Hamill route. Oh, man. I bet it is Tyrion. I think that's a pretty yes, good guess. I think Tyrion. But you were the one, Trish, who predicts, who's once said that Tyrion does nothing better than getting kidnapped. He's really good at being, you know, tied up in a boat and being snarky for yes. true. weeks so maybe on that, end. Maybe that's it's actually another Tyrion at his best. It really is. You know? When he cannot move. Um, somebody pointed out this is the shortest episode of Game of Thrones ever. No kidding. It's only like... 57? No, it wasn't even 50 minutes I was reading. Yeah, it was the shortest one. And I think because we can see where they blew the budget, but it was worth it. Oh, absolutely. But one of my other favorite things that happened was later on when we see Arya and Brienne together. I was all for that. Yes. That was pretty cool, but it took a while to get to there. That's true. That's true. I mean, is there anything else to say about the fact that there's nothing else really to say about this scene in King's Landing indicates that it wasn't that interesting a scene. Yeah, it's funny that you just said it takes a while to get there, and now we're taking a while to get there for no apparent reason. I know, because I think we're just, well, this scene (laughs) happened. Are we just bracing ourselves for the Winterfell transition? Yeah, I think we're all just bracing ourselves. I think we're trying to put it off. We're trying to delay it. Hey, what what'd you guys do over the weekend other than watching (laughs) the TV show? I just hung out. Really? Anything fun? I went to the Renaissance Festival dressed as my D&D character. Actually, really? yeah, that was. Yeah. I think, I think, and I, I think, <laughs> with some confidence, the world wants to know who is your D and D character. I am a half elf wizard librarian. <laughs> That's three parts. Yes, you said half elf. So you're half elf, half human, mm-hmm. and your occupation is wizard and librarian. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I think totally wizard is just a state of being, and librarian is the <laughs> yeah. occupation, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, she is layers upon layers, ladies and gentlemen. She sure is. All right, let's move on. Let's do People. it. Oh, wow. Wow. I withdraw every complaint I've ever made. Oh, my God. I think these guys are bringing it. Oh, boy. Wow. That was pretty awesome. So, um, was it? Okay. It was. I've decided to have a new attitude. I bet Peter got a voicemail at 4 o'clock this morning, (laughs) too. Why why be hating? That's the new Peter. Why be um, hatin'? Why be hatin'? Okay. So, <laughs> Winterfell, the most important fortress in the north, war is gathering. They have enemies to the north. They have enemies to the south. The countryside is not under anybody's control. And they decide that they will post... Abbott and Costello at the it, gate. Exactly. Oh Abbott and Costello, God. Mutt and Jeff. Every, I mean, what is the classic... Comedy cliche. Two dumb guys, one fat, one thin. Yep. Let's take those guys and we'll put them at the front gate and make sure that nobody is like on the walls watching to see if anybody is approaching over the big plains outside of Winterfell because you wouldn't want to deprive Mutton Jeff of having <laughs> their little moment. Bert and Ernie are fat, thin comic relief guys. And yeah. there they are. To talk interminably to Arya. I think every time something happens to Arya where she shows patience instead of just murdering right away, I'm like, okay, 
She's still a person. She didn't just like take them both out and yeah. walk into the castle. Yeah, I was half expecting her to just kill those motherfuckers. Yeah, to be and, and and I think she was thinking about. It. I, there, there was that nice little moment where the fat guy tries to punch her, and she goes, Whoosh. "Yeah, she's got and moves. nothing else, and nothing else." Which we saw later in a great fun scene. Yeah, but the scene before Arya comes home is Littlefinger and Bran talking. Littlefinger sucking up hard to Bran. Oh yeah, which I was about that. a very important scene, I think, for a couple different reasons. It's weird. Littlefinger is like trying to become their new dad. He's like a yeah. creepy. Stepdad, just I just have to protect her children. Yes, I just want to care yes. for you. I just want to. Yes, so terrible. I, yes, because Ooh. this is my voice that I use when I'm trying to imply closeness and affection. God, so, Brad, I'm so proud of you. That's really terrible. <laughs> I so, know. So Littlefinger gives Bran a Valyrian steel dagger. The Valyrian steel. You know what's interesting is Bran says. Tell me says, what's interesting, Peter. Well, I usually do. <laughs> Bran says, "Do you know who?" Used to own that. You, do you know who this belonged to? Do you know this belonged to? And uh, Peter Baelish, thinking it's a question as opposed to a rhetorical question, says, no, I don't. And blah, blah, blah. But we know, I think, that Bran knows. And we know because Trish knows. And Trish told us. <laughs> and what's interesting is that I usually spend my Monday mornings before coming in here looking over a couple of recaps just to see what other people are saying. So I don't, want, I don't steal too many of their jokes. And no one else knows. So as far as I know... Only Trish spotted that little picture in Sam's book a couple of episodes ago. I have to give credit where it's due to my friend Jordan, who immediately after we finished watching the episode, paused the screen and we went back to it because he spotted immediately that it was a huge picture of that dagger in the book. And then, yes, the folks of Reddit have, you know, sort of the good folks of Reddit have transcribed what's on that page so that we can see who it belonged to. And it's, you know, it's like one page away, right, from the map that just showed like all of the continent. Yes, exactly. (laughs) That very simple map. Very, very video game type visuals. So, yes, just to say so, it belonged to Aegon the Conqueror. Yes, indeed it did. And now Arya has it on her hip. By the way, where was that dagger since season one? So I did a little digging about that. Apparently, this is the dagger that someone tried to kill Bran with. Well, we know the guy who he tried was to saved kill Bran by with. the direwolf. Yeah. And then Catelyn gave it to Ned. Yeah. So the theory is no. Catelyn takes it to, to King. To King's take it to King's Landing, right? To, and, and then gives Peter it to Ned says, there, right? No, Peter Baelish says they talk directly about it. Oh. Catelyn Stark and Peter Baelish talk directly about it, and he says this knife was stolen from me, or no, I lost it in a in a bet or something like that to oh. Tyrion Lannister. Oh, right, and that's why she thinks Tyrion, right? And that's why she him. captures Tyrion, and that's how the Battle of the Five Kings begins, right? right. Sort of, sort of, kind. But doesn't of. she still give it to? She doesn't give it back to Peter, does she? Yeah, they oh, give it okay. back to Baelish at that point. Yes, he holds it up and says, "Oh, yeah, it's mine." Uh, and then presumably he puts it in his pocket and keeps enough. it for five seasons. Okay. Well, that's what happens when I feebly look at things on the internet there on Monday Yeah, sorry that I had to jump in there, but you know. <sighs> but moving on, what's, uh, interestingly enough, of course, uh, Bran does that now I think we can say completely creepy thing mm-hmm. where he just lets everybody know that he knows everything without telling them anything interesting. Yep. Right? Like, yeah, this was the most this. fun yeah. instance I've seen yes. of that so far, though. Where he says, To go through all of that and make your way home again only to find such... Chaos in the world. I can only imagine. Chaos is a ladder. Here's what I think is interesting about this, though. Is it to me? It's part that Bran, as the three-eyed raven, is accessing these things. But when he says early on this season that it's all fragments. I wonder if it's more of a savant-like thing where he's not actually making really coherent connections, but he hears him say the word chaos, and it sort of triggers a response where he just mutters chaos as a ladder. Because he doesn't 
seem like he's necessarily trying to be menacing mm. to Littlefinger in that moment. It's just that like he's hearing inputs and reacting with outputs. Right. There, I don't know. I think he knows. I think he knows the context of when Littlefinger said that. I think it is a dig. I think it's like you're sucking up to me. You think this is an opportunity for you to ingratiate yourself to me, but I know that you're just like trying to get every possible inch you can. Right. And he also, by knowing something that was said in a private conversation, uh, he's indicating to Peter Baelish that he knows everything. Everything that Peter Baelish has done is presumably accessible to Bram. But to follow up on Trisha's point, which I thought was a good one, there was a lot of conversation this episode about how weird Bran is mm-hmm. yeah. and how disconnected Poor Mira. He is. Poor Mira. Oh, man, that was brutal. In fact, he was so pointedly weird and disconnected and unhuman that there was a moment at the end of the scene, she walks out and he turns his head to look away from the door. And because I couldn't quite tell where he was situated in that wheelchair, yeah, come on, guys. I honestly thought that the scene ended when doing like a 360 head thing, like <laughs> in The Exorcist, which I wouldn't have not. I mean, I was like, all right, they're really indicating he's gone over an edge. And that may be, in fact, to answer all these questions that we and a lot of other people have had, which is like, why isn't Bran telling people all the important things he knows? Why isn't Bran saying, hey, by the way, we guy we thought was our brother? No. And this is what happens, and this is who the and this is where the Night King came from. All the things that he knows that he could tell everybody right now to their advantage, he's not saying. And maybe we're explaining why he hasn't done that and why he won't do it in the future. Why there's gonna come a moment where he knows something could help everybody out, or more to the point is like, Bran, could you warg into a bird and fly over the wall and tell us where the Night King's army is? And he'll just be staring at this you know, staring at the corner of the room and thinking about his complete religious course at Oberlin. Because <laughs> he's stuck in some part of the past and not controlling which part of the past he's in, maybe right. is a part of it. Hmm, Although know. apparently the tree helps him sort of focus that energy right, which is why we always see him near the tree, but he's not touching the tree, so... We may not have mentioned this the last time we were talking about it. The reason he likes to be near the trees is the trees are part of, like, a Westeros-wide intelligence network, Mm. right? They can connect with each other. It's like a really strong wireless signal. Exactly. He's, like, hanging out next to the cell tower. The Wi-Fi is great. The Wi-Fi is perfect. (laughs) In the weirwood. It's a hot spot. It's a hot spot. (laughs) He can't move. (laughs) I don't know. I I think he will be helpful eventually. I think it's... Well, in the next time on, they say, Bran told us that the Knight's Army is headed to Eastwatch. Yes. Yeah. yeah I so think, he's saying yeah. some things, yeah. but yeah. not everything. And well, I don't... I think preempting future questions of motivation. I feel like if you if you know everything, then you're only going to talk about the really important things, right? Yeah. Like my complet class at Oberlin. Exactly. <laughs> we do actually, speaking of the chaos as a ladder thing, that's also a callback to a very important conversation. Yes. That I think it's worth taking a listen to. We also have a clip from that. But what do we have left once we end This is Varys and Littlefinger, oh, season yeah. three, episode chaos. six. Sorry. A gaping pit waiting to swallow us all. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. <laughs> I just want to see how much of this we can get through before we just get overwhelmed by the little fingerness of it all. And some are given a chance to climb, but they refuse. They cling to the realm, or the gods, or love. Illusions. 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 Illusions, Michael. <laughs> the climb is all there is. Yeah. And that, by the way, is the sound of an ice pick, and that right. is somebody hitting the top of the wall. Somebody. Ooh. It's Tormund Redbeard. Yes, it is. 
interestingly enough, if you first of all, I also was curious as to when he actually said originally Chaos is a Ladder. Mm-hmm. And I was hoping, I even believed for a minute, it was the famous sex position scene with Baelish and his, <laughs> oh, his yeah. training Roz and the other uh, courtesan, uh, I guess. And I was <laughs> we'd be like, oh, no, you, you saw me there with the two naked ladies. I'm so embarrassed, Peter would say. But no, that's not the scene. It was a scene with Varys. And what was really, I guess, troubling, I had forgotten this, but y- you heard, you know, the music rising just now as Peter Yeah, that scoring really was something. Well, the reason the scoring was coming up so loudly is we, in the scene, you can watch it on the internet, of course, cut away from Peter and Varys talking in the throne room. Ah. A scene that began with Peter sitting next to the throne and staring at it. Yep. Lovingly. Yeah. Just and it awkwardly cuts. literally sitting next to the it thing, in another chair. The thing that Peter had just said to Varys was basically, I found out who your spy was telling you what I was doing in my brothels and other businesses. And I managed to take care of it by finding someone who wanted to use her for a special treat. And you cut away to Joffrey. Yep. Having just murdered Roz by tying her up and shooting her with crossbows, Oof. which is probably of all the sick, horrible things he did, the sickest and horriblest. And that's what Peter did to a spy. He handed the spy over to Joffrey for his own advantage and her death. And that is a pretty evil thing to do. That's something we haven't seen Peter Baelish do for an awfully long time. So I'm getting back to my usual theme of what happened to these characters. Now, it may well be that Baelish, through all this sort of meandering and whining and I love you and I want to be your father and creepy stepfathering and creepy uncling thing, is really going to be that evil again. But I hope so. I think so, because don't forget, he just said love is an illusion. So all this I loved your mother stuff, mm. he doesn't actually believe in love at all. Yeah, I know. Although, although one of the things we've always believed about Peter Baelish is the one true thing about him is he desperately loved Caitlin Stark. But I mm-hmm. think that we want to believe that because we think that about Severus Snape and Lily Potter. But really, Baelish <laughs> is for sure evil and just pretending. It's not like Snape and Lily. That's what I've decided. He okay. doesn't really love Catelyn. Well, you don't think so? He really nope. did? That's sort of a big motivating factor for his whole life. Nope. I think he doesn't actually because he's a psychopath. <laughs> okay. Well, then there. Fair enough. I think one of my favorite scenes in this episode actually was Arya and Sansa in the crypt. Really? Reuniting. Why? Yeah. I thought, you know, the... I thought they both, to see them reunite and know how much they kind of hated each other when they were younger for how different they were, and to see both of them kind of having fulfilled that, right? I mean, Sansa is Lady Stark now. She's in charge of Winterfell, and Arya is this badass assassin, and neither of them seems to really resent each other for that. Like, the fact that they take a moment and talk about it and remember Ned Stark and the thing Arya says about, you know, someone who knew his face better should have made this sculpture and... And Sansa saying no one no one who did is alive anymore. And Arya saying we are. I just thought it was kind of a poignant scene of these survivor kids who have really fought for themselves and made it happen. The, my favorite moment was one that you, you, you mentioned in passing, which is that uh, I have to call you Lady Stark. And yeah. she says yes. And then eventually Arya says it suits you. Mm-hmm. And just like you, I went back to their first season conversations. Like, for example, when Ned says to Arya, well, someday you'll be a, a lady with a castle mm-hmm. of your own. And That's Arya it. says, me. well, it is Sansa. And as we've seen, and as they once again emphasize with that passing bit of conversation about grain stores, it does suit her. Mm-hmm. Amazingly enough, this quivering teenager who used to just be tremulous and scared and keep her feelings hidden to avoid being slapped again, uh, and who screwed up mightily when we first met her in a number of ways, has turned out to be, in her own way, quite the badass at long last. I think also when Arya mentions her kill list and Sansa laughs, and then Arya does that same giggle that she did with the Lannister soldiers. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
um, where she's just like, oh, yeah, totally. I'm just kidding. J- JK. Yeah. I just thought it was really great. And then, and then in the second mention of the list, when Brand knows about it. Right. And, and the weird and, That's and the when weird Sansa one. looks worried. Sansa yes. says, this, this, this is a real list. Uh, who else is on the list? And she says, oh, they're, most of them are dead already. Uh-huh. Which is true. Uh-huh. Also, when Bran says, I see quite a lot now, and then Sansa's like, he has visions. And it's just like, this is kind of awkward, guys. Yeah, but my, f- <laughs> my favorite single line of dialogue in the whole thing was Sansa saying, oh, Bran is back too. <laughs> <laughs> and then like Brace this yourself. weird, and Arya's like, what? What? Yeah, what? Yeah, really and then they great. go out there and he's sitting in his wheelchair. I don't think so, really. I think that you can't have wheelchairs without... Like really nice flat floors. I think they have snow tires. You know, snow tires and the wheelchairs. Yeah, yeah, get some studs on there. You're yeah. good to go. All right, I'll look it up later. The invention of the wheelchair. <laughs> and then, of course, we have one of my favorite bits from the episode, which is Brienne deciding, "Well, yes, of course, I'll train you, Arya." And then finding out maybe she doesn't need so much training. Oh man, yeah. oh, I actually, that was great. that's funny. I thought that was kind of an annoying scene. It, uh, like, Arya was just uh, showing right. off. Like I understand it the importance awesome. of there it. There was a lot of showing off. But like for Arya to be like, "Teach me stuff," and then be that much of a badass is just kind of like chill, Arya. Like either you need her help or you don't. And if your point is just to like look that fancy, then. I don't know. I just it was, it was pretty great, and I, I mean, I I, as, awesome. as I've said before, I mean, it was awesome. It was also just like, yeah, it, it wasn't really training, but yeah. it was very much, uh, very much. It was Arya taking on the role of Cyril Forel, her old mm-hmm. fencing dancing master, mm-hmm. I should say, mm-hmm. from season one. In fact, she kept doing his signature move, which is to whip. Greta just did it to whip <laughs> her sword behind her back and hold it upright behind her back as if I don't need this sword. Oh, sword? I don't have a sword. I'm just standing here. Sword? What sword? Well, exactly. And yeah. and but there was definitely a lot of let me show you, Brienne, the guy who. Excuse me, the guy. Excuse me. The, I tend to call everybody guys, and this gets me into it's trouble. It's a thing. It's that a happens. thing. The woman who beat, as he says, the hound. She says this hound in single combat, yeah. and she's like, I'm just as good as you now. I liked it also, though, because Arya is not just showing off for Brienne. She sees Sansa and Littlefinger, and she's w- watching Littlefinger see how it a badass she for is. For sure, for and sure. And then the end of that scene is Littlefinger lurking like he always does, and yeah. Arya just, like, having a stare know, off with man. him yeah. to go, like, don't fuck with my sister or my family. Yep. I know that you're not cool, yep. and guess what? I can kill you now. I think also there was with an intention. She said all that with her eyes. <laughs> There, there have been so many echoes of things said in the early seasons. We just talked about one with Chaos as a Ladder. There, that was a reference to Cyril Farrell, who we haven't seen till he escaped miraculously from the Kingsguard in season one. Um, <laughs> but there was also, I think, an intentional echo of a closing shot from an episode in season one, which is when she starts, Arya starts training with Sylvia Farrell. And Ned comes to watch. He's arranged it. He's mm. happy for her. He's made her this gift of this teacher. And he watches it first with happiness and then with dismay as he sees what his daughter is and how she is entering into the same world of violence in which he has lived. And there's a contrast because Littlefinger seems quite pleased. Yeah, this, I think This also, fake alternative father looking down and grinning. She's also dressed nearly exactly in the clothing and colors and hairstyle of Ned the last time she sees Ned. Which feels very wow. intentional. Really? Yeah. That With, kind like, of... the color on the top, call, brown leather, Bobita. a dark color yeah. on the bottom, and then the half button. And the, and the kind of skirt. And yeah. The, and the, well, I don't know what you call those. Oh, yeah. those, skir- those sort of like skirt-like outfits a lot like of the Like battle kilts? Yeah, sort of like that. <laughs> a lot of the men wear them, and I don't know what, what you call them, but they're cool, and they look great, and also, I like one. Also, who taught you how to fight like that? No one. 
so oh, good. Yes. That I did love that. That was that was excellent. There, See, you did like it. One, I did like it. One more fight choreography nerdy, nerdery. There was a wonderful bit at the very end that I had to watch it twice to see, which is that first of all, I found out for the first time why what have I been doing rather than noticing this, that Arya is left-handed. Oh, I never holy knew shit. that. I didn't notice that. I never I mean Usually she's been I'm fighting really with swords for a that. long time, but she's left-handed. Obviously, Maisie Williams must be left-handed. So they're fighting with left hand, and at the very end, um, Brienne sort of has her, has won the exchange by grabbing, I've got to get this right, by grabbing Arya's left hand. And what she does is she tosses the dagger into her right and holds it to Brienne's throat, ending the fight, not in a victory, but in a stalemate, which I think was important. They didn't want to show Arya beating Brienne or Brienne beating Arya, but that right there at that moment, they're equal. And they look at each other and they go, you're a badass. Yes, I am. So are you. Yes, I know. Yes, you are. <laughs> We're badasses together. Let's do this again tomorrow. Yep. It made me real happy. And I like that Podrick was just like, I'm just going to watch this. This yeah. is yeah. fun. I'm, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay out of this one. Worth noting, Trish and I are both left-handed. Just Well, that fact. explains a lot. I think it does. It's All a right. general tendency. It's a general trait of female badassery. badassery. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Peter. We'll be back in a minute. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Oh my God! That's it's a dance actually party. excellent. It's a Dragonstone dance party. I feel like Daenerys would love that song. Whoever did that DJs our end of season rap party. That oh, was awesome. <laughs> you danced a little in your I chair. Did. Peter. I did. I did white guy chin dancing. It was so awesome. <laughs> okay, so on the beach. And then John invites Daenerys into the caves. Ooh, that wasn't Freudian. And shows her all the art that they're going to destroy. There's no concern about maintaining the Lasco cave-like situation going on in there. Of course that's what you're worried about. Yeah, man, preservation. This is like... Preservation of cave paintings or preservation of all humankind? Those are your choices right now, No, I feel like they could at least have a conversation about trying to save the art before excavating out the dragon glass. I'm just saying. Didn't that seem convenient to you that John needed proof that the White Walkers existed. And, and here and it is. is. Oh, well, who yes. knew? <laughs> Maybe it's not real. Maybe he's just been spending the last couple of days in there. Would, it would have been it. really funny if they had a shot with like all of a sudden he looks down at his glove and there's chalk on it. And he like yeah. quick hides Davos his Davos has a little paintbrush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> in Do you also notice that was the first time uh, that John physically touches Daenerys? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, that was that was pretty. Like here, walk in front of me while I gently grab your hand. I'm gonna grab your arm with the torch in it. Was it? Did you guys think it seemed sexy though? I feel like those two are a little. I was gonna say stiff, but maybe stale is a better. Like I, I just don't. There was a real moment of tension yeah. I thought at the end of the scene to which I give everybody credit writers actors everything where okay. they were like face to face and he has said to her you know do you believe, will you help me this is real and she says I will help you and you think there's a big change coming mm-hmm. I'm going to help you if you when bend you bend the knee. The, she says when you, you bend, bend the, the knee. knee which was tough and I actually felt for John's problem because her argument was really good. You, yeah, totally. You swore to protect them. The best way to protect them is with my help. I will solve your problem. All you need to do is bend the knee. Your problems are solved. Your people are protected. So what's stopping you? But I think someone on Twitter pointed out rightly yeah. that bend the knee can also mean to propose. Oh, yes. And she Ayo. said the reason she didn't bring Loverboy across the ocean 
was that she needed to marry for power. Strategic. And she's now decided. I think that now we've seen that Danny has decided who it makes the most sense for her to marry for power is. Bonus points, it's Kit Harrington. Yes. But she was looking for (laughs) And again, I know I've asked you about this before, but you ladies find this to be a bonus that it's Kit Harrington. That it's Kit Harrington. He's grown on me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Much like his chin beard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I think we also now know something about John, which is that, and I had to look up, because you know how like uh, there's a lot of words like sapiosexual means you're attracted to intelligence or demisexual means that you're attracted to people once you know them well. I thought it meant you're attracted to Demi Moore. Also that once you know Demi Moore well, she is the only one for you. But so I decided to look up the Latin word for cave. I probably could have just asked asked Greta, but uh, antrum. So an antrum sexual is Jon Snow, someone who's just attracted to people while in caves. That's true. He he does. The only time he has time for such things. I know. And and then, of course, we cannot skip Davos's line. She has a good heart. Yes, I noticed you staring at her good heart. Uh Funny line. More Davos avuncular comedy. Oh, Davos did so well this episode. Speaking as a guy, when a guy says, I don't have time for that, he's got time for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You make time. time You make time. Uh, so Danny hears about Casterly Rock. Tyrion tells her they should keep going with the plan. She's she like, is Tyrion, to yeah, she is mad. Not brutal at enough. Yeah. Uh, he has really messed up. Well, and then when she says, enough with the clever plans, I have three large dragons. It's just like, ugh, okay. The word large is what. Yeah, man. It was just, I just thought that it was ridiculous. Did you then anticipate that? felt perfunctory to me, that line. Enough with the clever plans, I have three large dragons. Like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to do it now. At the same time, it was baldly true. I suppose, yeah. Yeah. Did you guys, just pausing right there in the episode, Mm -hmm. because that's the last you see of Daenerys till we see her again in the battle. Right. Did you anticipate what was going to happen? No, man, time doesn't move that quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but. Putting aside the very practical, the very practical issue issues of getting the army aside. and the horses and everybody, yes, we all know that. But putting all that aside, did you anticipate that she was then going to make that decision and, and put that sort of whole action into progression? Not not yesterday, yeah. no. No, I didn't. I didn't not think in that so either. episode. She, not she, she, they, sure they still seemed, and this was, I think, a great bit of misdirection on the producer's part. They still seemed kind of stuck in the dithering mode at that point. Well, I think especially when she asks John's advice and he was like, if you if you burn castles and cities, then you're just like all the other ones. Yes, you exactly. Know? So I thought he talked her out of it, yes. essentially. And I guess she didn't burn the Red Keep, so maybe that's the Yeah, there, I mean, she, she might have, as you said, well, in that case, she might have said in her off-screen thinking, well, I won't burn the Red Keep, I'll just destroy the army, which strategically makes sense. But moving on. I still, it's such a weird thing, though, that we have just all decided that it makes more sense to burn a bunch of basically commoners in uniform who are fighting somebody else's battle than to just fly up to Cersei's window and go <laughs> with a bunch of fire and just kill the queen. But that's how battles work. Is this we let other people's children die instead of fighting our own battles? I This is just, you know, Trisha, the um, person who does you are echoing. war you, is difficult. You are echoing. <laughs> perhaps <laughs> to put it that, really. you were Meaning perhaps. to echo George R. R. Martin, who was a conscientious objector from the Vietnam War, maybe. I was actually going to say Tywin Lannister, because <laughs> I uh, was enjoying some Tywin Lannister highlights reels, because I have nothing else to do with my time, as we've established. Wow. <laughs> and there's a scene with Tyrion that I had forgotten, a very important scene. It actually was interesting to watch in terms of what's happening now, as we're talking about who's the heir, true heir to Tywin. Oh, you're for your father's daughter. To take a look at Tywin. It's it's the scene in which, uh, among other things, uh, Tywin tells Tyrion that he will never be Lord of Casterly Rock because he's a little monster. But also in that scene, Ta- uh, Tyrion gives Tywin grief for basically arranging the Red Wedding. And Tywin says, tell right. me why it's better to kill 20,000 men on a field of battle than hmm. 20 men at a wedding yep. when both end the war. 
And you're like, yeah, it's kind of got a point. Yeah. You know, if, if, if what you're basically doing is shoving sharp pieces of steel into other people's bodies and making them die, presumably you'd want to do that as little as possible to achieve your objective. And if your point is that this mad queen must be stopped, then why do you kill her army and not her when yeah. you have a dragon that could fly up to her window? I'm I think saying. I think the presumption is that, is that, in essence, Cersei has protected herself with the population of King's Landing as hostages. Who are jerks, though. Yeah, Go that's on. true. They're, they're just a bunch of putzes and, <laughs> and douches, I think, to, you know, to talk about the conversation we had earlier. They're just, it's, it's douche city. Hat tip to the writers <laughs> for giving us a grammar joke. Yes! yes. The, uh, yes, with wow, the excitement with which you both responded was so oh, it was great. Fewer than not only not only a grammar joke, but the, the grammar, grammar joke that joke. Stannis made exact quote exactly the same. I think it was it was at a meeting. Uh, he was observing a meeting back up at the wall between the Wildlings and the Night's Watch, or whatever it was. So we show that you know Davos is not is not entirely free of Stannis's influence. Do you think, by the way? That that was a written joke originally, or do you think it was, like, improvised on set? Do you think that, like, you know, the actor playing Stannis was, like, you know, listening to somebody else make a speech, and he's like, well, actually, it should be fewer. Like, Stannis should say that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's a good question. I imagine that that's a writer's room joke that ended up in there. Like, that Mm -hmm. one of the people in the writer's room always forgets that. And the other one has to remind the other one. Yeah, it it is it is. I've always found it a little weird that they're making gra- English grammar jokes when clearly they're not really speaking English. But that's another question. <laughs> that also brings up of like, so is when uh, Bron laughs at Dickon's name. Yeah, that's the other moment Dick of whimsy. A a dirty word uh, or, a, or a funny word in somebody Westerosi. Somebody had tweeted at us that that was just a very common medieval name for like yeah. that Dickon. Was, yeah, that yeah. it was actually quite common. And huh. so Bron laughing at it does feel a little anachronistic. Yeah, there's a yeah. there's a British folk hero named Dick something, the mayor of London, and his cat. I mean, so Dick <laughs> Dick was like a name that they use, but it's like it's very like 20th, 21st century English to have Bron snickering at Dick on. <laughs> but he's Bron, so it's he true. Yeah, he no, gets away it's, with it. it's accurate. It's not inaccurate. Should we head back to where Bron is? Being is it time? The greatest Bron. Yeah, of all I think Brons? it's Carnage o'clock. Yeah, guys. here we go. A field of battle. On the Rose Road. Trisha, you actually seem kind of pleased by that one. I liked that one. It reminded <laughs> me of Convoy. Yeah, we got ourselves a convoy of it wagons. Did, it did feel convoy. a little Western. <laughs> it, uh, speaking of Westerns, I mentioned before these weird mesas that are all of a sudden in the reach. We've oh, never yeah. seen them before in this supposedly fertile farmland. There are these like desert-like mesas, like Monument Valley, like scenes of the American West. There was such a strong element of like Westerns. Yeah, the wagons, Indians attacking the horses. wagons yeah, man, and horses. Yeah, man, the racist undertones. Well, I don't know if were it's weird I mean, it, certainly there was an echo of classic filmmaking when you yeah. hear, I mean the, the 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 cries that the Dothraki make are very reminiscent. They're dressed in a way that's reminiscent. Yeah, I mean you Native called American. you mentioned Zulu earlier and called that imperialist and racist. I think even if you're, you know, referring to something, imitating something that yeah. was initially imperialist well, and racist, the, I think there are still some elements of imperialism yeah, and racism. The, 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 the the imperialist slash racist slash culturalist I don't know what you want to call it uh, roots of this particular story go so deep that's true that's that if you were true. to start talking about them you'd never finish well it's I feel like it's worth mentioning just okay. for a moment anyway but there is also a super important clip that I think a lot of people missed in the uh, very beginning of this and scene. I think I missed it too yeah let's, let's take a is. listen all the gold safely through the gates of King's Landing good 
We need to get the last of these wackers over the black I'm so glad you brought that because I mm-hmm. missed it twice. Mm. I watched the scene twice. I missed it twice. And I only saw because I was thinking, you know, as I was, you know, thinking about what's happening next is, oh, boy, we had that big scene. Yeah, Cersei's going to owe all the money. We're, we're going to help you out. You're going to be great. Everything's great for you as long as we get the gold. And then I thought that whole scene was about, no, they're not getting the gold. But as you point out, thanks to... Bad, bad Tarly. Mm-hmm. Yep. We, we now know the that the gold is in King's Landing. The they don't get anything good. else. Right. They get the gold. Yep. Which means that Daenerys just burns all the wheat. Why did she do mm. that? There are a lot of questions about this battle I have, but that's one of them. She seems quite intentionally interested in burning uh, the loot train. In fact, I believe I, I saw... Uh, I have this in my notes. I have notes, oh, ladies and gentlemen. How many pages the, um, of notes do you have over there? It's called the Loot Train Battle. Yes, it is. <laughs> in, 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 the, in the sort of lore of production of, of Game of Thrones. They're calling it the Loot Train Battle. And the Loot Train is destroyed. And that's what Daenerys wants to do most is destroy all the you know, wagons of wheat and food. Why does she do that? I do think there is something about Jamie having seen this devastation and being able to go back to Cersei and tell her she needs to take this shit seriously. Well, I understand that. So that's generally true but of why? the dragon. But why would she attack the food? Specific, Specifically yeah, when she's got like, I don't know how many, 5,000 Dothraki soldiers who just worked themselves up an appetite? Also, how did they get there? Yes, and why did no one notice? <laughs> did they apparate? I, my theory is they went to the Citadel, Slughorn taught them how to apparate, and do, then they do apparated. Do you want to talk about maps here, Trisha, or should I? Go ahead, Peter. All right. So Trisha and I apparently both went to our maps and tried to figure out where this battle was based on two things. They're coming from Highgarden, and uh, Bad Dad Tarly says, we have to get them across the Blackwater Reach by nightfall, meaning they're right next to the Blackwater Reach. Okay. It turns out that there is a road, the Rose Road, from, on the map, it's on the map, from High Garden all the way up to King's Landing, and it crosses the Blackwater Reach right before King's Landing. Perfect. King's Landing is on a bay, so it is most likely that the fleet brought the Dothraki over to the bay, and then they didn't have that far to go. So I think that there's some credibility here. But still, it's interesting that nobody noticed. Until yeah. Bronn heard them. Yeah, well, no vibration on the yeah, ground. Yeah, I think, you know, and we've talked about this before. I think it's just the matter that in previous seasons, I feel like that Daenerys and a horde of Dothrakis would have taken a lot longer than like the five minutes in span of episode time yeah, to it, get there. Yeah, but know? I'm so grateful that it No, didn't. it's, yeah, no, it's cool. Maybe I just need to revise my expectations. I'm just always surprised when things actually happen quickly what, on this what show. What people know and what people don't know is really variable on this show, and it's entirely dependent on yes. what the plot needs. So, for example, yeah. Daenerys somehow didn't know that Euron had a fleet out there ready to attack hers and mm-hmm. didn't know where the Lannister army was. They were at Highgarden and not at Casterly Rock. But she did apparently know that if she crossed over at this particular time with her Dothraki, she could find the Lannister army right there to make for this cool battle. And I'm just wondering about, like, the intelligence services available to them. They seem spotty. The wireless isn't as good down south. They should hang out next to the tree where the hotspot is. (laughs) (laughs) I think now, though, maybe she's gotten smart. If she's willing to ride her dragon into battle, why not ride the dragon to do a little recon? Exactly. It's very useful. Well, yeah, then there's the reveal, the potential reveal, right? Yeah. And then we had... Bronn and the, they call it the scorpion, Kyburn scorpion in the show. Apparently the name of this weapon is a ballista. If you were just looking at the actual kind of weapon that it is, but they have named it the Scorpion, which the sounds like a roller crossbow. coaster yes. or something. <laughs> you, did you look that up? Is is this kind of like big mega bow crossbow thing? Is that was that historically called a ballista, ballista yeah. or was it okay? 
because I actually thought it was called a scorpion because I used to be a medieval weapons nerd, as we once discussed. Um, what were we going to say about the battle scene? The I think, Ron by the way, was awesome. The, the Ron <laughs> shot. But before we get to that, you may remember in our preview episode. You said that you had heard that they set a record oh, yeah. for most stuntmen on fire yeah, they did. at one time, and I think now we know where that comes into it? play. It better be, Why otherwise. Did no one... <laughs> Why did no one teach the Lannister army to stop, drop, and roll? Oh, <laughs> so much flailing around. No, that was really bad. Stop, drop, roll. Yes. Come on, guys. Oh, I don't think it would have helped. Yeah. Yeah. Dragon fire is You know, news. the way it turned people instantly to ash was oh. a terrifying detail that made me glad I no longer watched the show on my phone but on a television. I thought that the, it was it a was little a, like, gratuitous. The visual of it was yeah. really amazing. How many burning men there were, I thought it was a little excessive. But there I was were. with my friend Jeff, and he was like, are you kidding me? This is perfect. There was a <laughs> was lot like, of okay. burned Lannister soldiers. It was and a th- bunch were, of burning there people. There were a lot of things. I mean... Whatever we can say about the characterizations and the writing and the plotting coming down from above, man, these guys know how to shoot a battle. They are setting – somebody pointed out on one of the many recaps I read that if you want to know how hard it is to shoot a major battle to make it exciting yet keep the audience aware of what's happening, watch the climax to any of these goddamn superhero movies. Where it's cut, yeah. cut, 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 yeah. cut, cut, yeah. cut, bah, bah, noise, whatever, and you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And with all of these battles, in pretty much consistently, you know exactly what's happening, what's at stake, where the movements of men and material and weapons and dragons are. And I give them tremendous amounts of credit for doing this. A couple little things that I loved. I love the shot of the Lannister soldier shaking yes. in fear. Yes, yes. That was I thought great. So too. Uh, and so that too. extended sequence of Bronn running through the flames yeah. and chaos was very reminiscent of the one in John mm-hmm. in the Battle of the Bastards and was equally great. Yeah, I thought that scene, especially from the point of view of Bronn, who obviously is such an experienced fighter, to have him be so disoriented and confused yeah. and trying to figure out what to do, I thought was just a really powerful way of showing how, like, how even within the the rules of battle having this dragon just like completely threw everything off yeah. expectations yeah here's a question though did you think the battle went on too long considering that there were only i guess three major characters involved in it which i guess is enough well you had to have Tyrion up on the hill yep. looking down yep, so yep, maybe yep. like four or five the, characters I, I, maybe i'm coming along to what you just said is there was a lot of guys getting set yeah on fire. it seemed a little excessive to yeah me. i mean we, so we get it but fire, like they're but... being set on fire and it's really bad and the dragon is like really scary and there's nothing you can do i don't know on first and second watch i was pretty into it i yeah. thought it was so we all great. watched it twice is that yes yeah? we did well here we are <laughs> I might go watch it a third time. <laughs> and so then the question we leave with is one that maybe we should take up right after the break, which is is Jamie alive? So is Jamie alive? Yes, of course he's alive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because no question. Because you don't go through all of that with that ridiculously unlikely last minute save by Braun coming out of nowhere. Was How it Braun? I thought it was his dick on. No, it was Braun. No, no, no. no I'm bummed. Braun somehow jumped from his horse at full speed across, knocked Jamie off his horse, mm-hmm. and then into water, which was mm-hmm. only about three inches deep yeah. where they were, and then was thirty feet. I know. Yes. Yeah, it was about yeah. three feet later. It's, yeah. So it was, it was very goofy. unlikely, and you don't. You don't pull that kind of stunt, and I'm talking about storytelling stunt, Mm -hmm. to just start the next episode with them looking at Jamie's dead body. (laughs) What would be the point? Yeah. I did. That scene was so interesting, having Jamie running at this dragon with his mouth open and Daenerys standing there and thinking, like, who 
am I rooting for in this situation? It like was you know, a I was strange. kind of Benny often said know? that that was why this was their favorite battle scene ever because you had beloved characters on both sides. So yeah. were you rooting for Bron or Danny or I mean who yeah. To tell you the truth, the only people I care about is the dragon. <laughs> really? Drogon. Like the dry Drogon. I like Drogon because yeah. he's, he's the only person who's like totally innocent of any moral turpitude. And I was like, and, oh, I'm sorry. So he fires <laughs> the, the scorpion, the ballista, yeah. whatever it is, and he misses. Yeah. And so what does Danny do? Danny, who we know has a, has a heart of gold, which we like to stare at, <laughs> says, you know what? He missed. And I feel bad for him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my dragon and I'm going to big curve around Loop and then I'm going to come right back, right straight down at him while he's aiming at me because you know what? He deserves a second chance. <laughs> and also, I'm sorry, but the way that Brom was swinging that thing around like it was a, you know, a, 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 an, air, an anti-aircraft gun emplacement. It was like, I don't think so. They had really good gimbals back in the medieval <laughs> technology of Westeros. Oh, anyway, but sorry, I just wanted to bitch about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> okay, so Jamie is for sure alive. Also, what was Jamie thinking he would do? Was he going to joust the dragon? No, he thought he'd he run gonna up. He was going to kill Danny. He's going to he's going to yeah. kill Danny, and it's not a bad idea from his perspective. Kill Danny, the war is pretty much over. Yeah, and then Tyrion at the top of the hill. You idiot. Yes. Yeah, that was pretty good. But that, it was interesting that Tyrion was watching Jamie and uh-huh. not wanting Jamie to buy it. And uh, and that made perfect sense. I wasn't surprised by that. Of course Tyrion doesn't want Jamie to buy it. And that's, of course, also something that Danny knows. Our enemies or your family? Uh-huh. Oh, snap. Uh-huh. Yeah. So should we listen to a voicemail? Yeah. A note from our producer, Justin, was that we got a lot oh, of yeah. drunk voicemails this time. Of course we did. I love Please that. Please keep calling us in whatever state you are after the show. Let's start with the second one. Hi, this is Carl from Miami, Florida. In the Queen's Justice, uh, episode three, did anybody else notice the double take that Littlefinger did when uh, new Winterfell maester, whose name I don't remember, said something about... Previous maester keeping copies of every message sent to Winterfell. Uh, I don't know exactly what might be in there, um, but clearly Littlefinger thinks there's something in there that's going to prove his downfall. And since we've now got Bran there, who sees everything, my prediction is that he's not long for this world. Somebody's going to find out all the evil stuff he's done. And, yeah. Thanks. Well, I I don't remember that, Trish. Do you? I do remember this. He definitely does a double take. And I think that we, some of us of the internet, thought that that scene where Sansa is getting talked to by Abbott and Costello this episode was her actually in the maester's chamber reading those copies. So she's like reading a bunch of papers in a room that doesn't look like the Lord's chamber necessarily. It's a smaller room. Smaller room. So I think she's reading through previous communications. And if... It was every raven sent to Winterfell. It would mean all of Littlefinger's correspondence with the Boltons exactly. when they were in charge, which would say things about, like, I'm selling you this Sansa to you can then do whatever you want to. I mean, like, Ooh. there would be all kinds of stuff that Littlefinger said to the Boltons that Sansa probably suspects but doesn't know about. And now she can sort of wave the paper at him and say, you know, I know exactly how evil you are and yes. turn him out. W- in what context did the maesters say, oh, we've kept copies of all the raven notes? It was Raven something notes. of all the Raven Notes. Raven Notes is my um, favorite software program. <laughs> <laughs> it was in the montage of uh, Sansa being 
capable. Oh yes, that the, the Sansa being capable <laughs> montage, which yeah. I dismissed out of hand yeah. last yeah. time. Okay. <laughs> Can I ask you guys a question before we go? Mm-hmm. So now that we're back in Winterfell, there was a moment that I meant to ask you guys about, which is when Sansa tells Arya. You think I'm happy to see you. Wait until John sees you. Yes. He's going to be really happy. And yeah. it gave me this really strong sense of foreboding like that Arya and John aren't actually going to reunite. It's not the kind of thing that happens when you predict it happening, is it? It's the sort of thing you yeah. say when, you know, fate or writers have something else in store for you. Yeah, it made me think that maybe she'll be gone from Winterfell by the time it, John gets back. It's almost that the, she and Brienne head to East watch yeah or yeah. something it was just just the way like it just seemed so, too simple and nice it's, for Game it's of sort Thrones, of the same you know? sort of thing of a detective in some sort of crime movie saying well I retire in a week and right, wow exactly. let me show you the picture of the beautiful place by the lake that <laughs> yeah. I'm going to settle down with yeah. my wife for 30 years yeah. in just one week it's going to be great <laughs> what is that vulture landing on my shoulder for uh-huh. what does that mean <laughs> okay well thank you I just wanted to run that by you guys yeah maybe and then we've got one more voicemail that I really like hey this is Don from Naperville um, not that this would be a good idea for the show, but how fast do you think it would take Cersei to decide to turn into a white walker? She had the option, so she wouldn't have to worry about a dynasty. She'd live forever. She'd consider alienation from humanity and uh, turn into an ice monster. Let it go. Bye-bye. I can see why you would like this voicemail, Tricia. Yeah. This is perfect for your, your white walker goals ideas. White walkers have goals. They have thoughts and feelings. We just don't know about them yet. They have vision journals. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But it's an interesting question. I dream of killing all human life. So let's remember when we see the flashback that Bran is watching of the children of the forest taking what seems to be just a regular human man and stabbing dragonglass into his heart. Yes. That is apparently what it takes to turn that human into a white walker. If you're a child of the forest. Right. Right. Maybe is it the magic that's required, well, or wait a stabbing somebody no, in the heart with dragon glass? No, because presumably, if that if that <laughs> worked, then you know there'd be lots of night kings wandering around. Because uh, I don't know. you know, I, I just it just doesn't seem that easy. You know, yeah, I don't think it's really going to happen. But I think Cersei would love to be a White Walker. You think so? Yeah. Their clothing is not nearly up to her level. Oh, man, <laughs> yeah. Not even they have that, clothing they have that long, either. horrible, stringy white hair. She wouldn't be happy with that. I mean, she could still do the, the she pixie could do her cut, thing. the White Walker pixie white cut. Walker. <laughs> I think that's totally legit. When do we get to see the White Walkers again? Maybe next episode. Yeah. Sounds like we're, I, my guess is that we have other, you know, sort of uh, King's Landing, Dragonstone-esque squabbling in the next episode, that six of seven is when we see the big battle at Eastwatch. And then seven, which is the finale for this time around, will be a little quieter because that's what they always they tend do. To, they tend to save the big battles for this uh, penultimate episode. Yeah, they so I think Tormund at East Watch is probably mm. season episode six. Here's my question: If we're doing predictions, and I guess we should, with only three episodes to go, Ugh. I know it's sad. It is sad. We've got to lose. This is Game of Thrones. We've got to lose a major character before the end of the episode, before the end of the season, right? Yeah. Who's it going to be? Cersei. You think? I think Jaime kills Cersei. I just would be so sad if it were Jamie or Tyrion or anybody else. Cersei, I would be happy to see go. Yeah. The rest, I would be like, oh, no. Well, as we know, being happy to see people go and happy to have them stay doesn't have much to do with this show. I remember my saying, yeah, well, they can't kill off Barristan Selmy. He's so great. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to think of, like, who, who can they kill off without losing mm. a lot of fan loyalty and, more to the point, interest? Yara. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> but she's, I don't even think she's a major character. But for, what I mean to say is if you kill Tyrion, don't, 
people would be very unhappy. Yeah, that people yeah. would be turned off. Seven whole episodes without fill in the blank is okay. Yeah. I yeah, think exactly. that's Cersei. Thank you, I think that's Littlefinger. Oh yeah, Littlefinger. They're and the Cersei. two that yeah. are most likely to die at the end of this season. And that's the you jerks. make a compelling case. So that's great. Yeah, and then as we all know, there is and has been forever this larger looming problem. The boss level, if you will, mm-hmm. when you win the game and you defeat the Night King. And so before you get to the boss level, you have to get rid of the sub-boss villains. And that would be, as you say, Cersei right now. Also Theon, because I'm so done with oh, Theon. Oh, yeah, Theon for Theon, sure. Theon, whatever happens to Theon, whether he succeeds in rescuing Yara, which is he says is his goal, or he fails, he's got to die. At this point, the only thing that can redeem him is his own noble death. We know that. He knows that. In fact, he does know that. I bet Theon knows that the only way he can redeem himself in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of his brother John, or rather his childhood friend John, is 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 to die nobly in pursuit of something good, like yeah. the rescue of his sister. Maybe maybe Theon <sighs> kills Cersei. No, Jamie's gonna kill Cersei. Prophecy man. Anyway, All we right. really want you to join the conversation, ask us a question, or suggest a topic for us to discuss in an upcoming episode. Call and leave us a voicemail. That number is 312-948-4687. You can find us online at wbez.org slash thrones. We are Nerd at Podcast on Twitter. Trisha is at Trisha Bobita. I am at Greta M. Johnson. Peter Segel is at Peter Segel. You can also use the hashtag GOT Nerdcaps. You can, and you should. You can give us some stars on Apple Podcasts if you want to help us spread the good word. Thanks to Yab for writing yeah, it's that like review. How many A's? There's like eight A's. A there. great many A's. Yeah, yeah. seven yeah. A's. The show is produced by us with a lot of help from Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. Our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. And the patriarchy jingles, including the one in which they betrayed me, <laughs> are my good friends Paul and Storm. You should seek out for all your comedy nerd music needs. Indeed. All right, see you next week. Bad things are coming. The reach. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.